Hello, Pete. Hey, Jen. Well, I have been back in my in-person classes oh my gosh. for nine days now. Mm-hmm. And? and, well, it's been utterly amazing and magical and healing and everything you want it to be. It has also been very surprising and eye-opening, and I'd like to share with you just one of the many surprising things, which has to do with emotional muscle memory. Okay. All right. Emotional muscle memory. Okay. I guess this is the muscle memory of me saying, this is the long and the short of it? Okay. So... I'm going to have to provide some context so people can follow along at home. My classes at my studio involve actors getting up in front of their peers with a live accompanist who is playing the piano beautifully, I might add, and Mm -hmm. singing in front of other actors. They then get some adjustments and feedback from me, and then they do another pass. So we have basically like an in-the-moment work session. Can I just like pause and just (laughs) emphasize how unbelievably terrifying that sounds to a mere mortal, like a muggle like myself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or the people listening to this podcast? The thought of getting up in front of a group of people to sing, oh my God. That is like (laughs) the scariest thing you could ever describe. I just feel like I have to emphasize these people, they are superheroes. They have superpowers that they can do this. Anyway, sorry, continue. It actually wasn't a tangent. You set me up beautifully because, yes, I imagine two muggles, that sounds scary. But now imagine that the people sitting in your audience are some of the most exquisitely talented singers in New York City, and you're singing for them. (laughs) Sweaty palms. I've actually, I've been lucky enough, listeners, to sit in some of these classes in years gone by, and I just sit there with my jaw on the floor and sweaty palms at the thought of having to stand up in front of these people. Like, oh, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, I do have the best job in the whole wide world. incredible. (laughs) So... Pre-pandemic, my clients, not only would they get up and sing in my classes, but they would be singing regularly in auditions for people who maybe were or were not actually paying attention. But um, there was a status game at play. It was just always something to create a level of discomfort and tension and most importantly, self-consciousness a severely Mm. high level of self-consciousness at all times. And Mm -hmm. so much of my work as the coach was to help people move through the self-consciousness so that they could be free in their work. Well, 20 months passed during which these singers were not going back into familiar scenarios. They were singing in their apartments. They were singing on Zoom. They were trying out different material. They were doing all sorts of new things. And when they got up to sing for me and their peers for the first time last week, Mm. my big surprise was that the self-consciousness was not there. I had expected 
the muscle memory, the emotional muscle memory of I'm getting up in front of these people and I'm singing, which means I'm supposed to judge myself. I'm supposed Mm. to tell myself I don't like what I hear. I'm supposed to tell myself everyone in this room is better than I am. And it was almost like the polar opposite experience happened. They were free. They were fully themselves, like the unique, special, amazing, singular self. They were open, vulnerable. It was astonishing to me. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is I think my expectations are probably similar to other people's expectations about what it means to return to some of the activities we were doing pre-pandemic and having a certain expectation of how it might feel to do those things and what it might look like and all of the sensory experiences. And thanks to my clients, I realize I have to completely abolish that story from my mind that anything's going to feel the way it felt before and open to the possibility that it could be amazing. Wow. Have you thought about or even asked those that took part like how and why that might be the case? Like what's your hypothesis as to why they are no longer so self-conscious? Okay, this is me hypothesizing. Totally, yeah. They're different. Mm. They're not the same people. They have Mm. been through a 20-month collective trauma, an individual trauma, an awakening, a healing, a repairing. Some of them are in the best vocal shape of their lives because, you know, 20 months of not abusing your voice every single day, they sound like a million bucks. They're physical instrument is not the same, but their internal instrument is not the same. They are different people than they were. And I feel so grateful that they were willing to meet themselves where they are right now, rather than trying to require themselves to be who they were. And so as a very positive outcome of that, they were free from some of the very debilitating, in some cases, obstacles externally or internally imposed obstacles that would create that sense of like, I have to constantly be watching myself and judging and telling myself I'm not enough. It just wasn't there. Wild. I wonder if, now I'm hypothesizing, I wonder too if there's some level of newfound appreciation and gratitude for the things that we took for granted. Mm-hmm. Like going to a class at Jen's studio and singing. If you did that a few times a week in the past, you don't walk into that studio with this like sense of intention and joy and gratitude for the fact that you can do that, which I imagine you would have done or that your clients are doing now. And I think this applies to you know more than just your classroom. I think that I've observed this in myself, catching up with my family last weekend for the first time in months, six plus months, I was so much more intentional and present and aware mm-hmm. of the conversation. And we had this like quite deep conversation about the last 20 months that prior to this, I probably would have like checked my phone while I was talking to my mom or like, you know, not really been listening as hard or not necessarily even made the time to go down and visit. Like, I just wonder if there's some level of collective and individual, I don't know, I guess gratitude for the things that we can now do, which Mm. I really, really, really hope we can hang on to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's making me think that we could intentionally create this positive emotional muscle Mm. memory (laughs) rather than trying to reach back to the stuff that wasn't serving us before. I have a question for you. Have you done an 
in-person keynote in the last 20 months? I'm just like checking my <laughs> I'm checking my memory bank. I mentioned this in one of the early episodes of this year. It must have been around April. I'll double check and pop it in the box of goodies. In April 2021, I ran an in-person workshop and I actually believe you and I talked about it on this podcast. It wasn't a keynote. It was like a full-day workshop with a friend of mine, Mary, for a brilliant, brilliant group of founders and leaders. And it was like an out-of-body experience, I remember, mm. yeah. And especially now that I think about it, because it was like we had this small window here in Australia for uh, it was like a couple of months where there was basically no cases and so people were moving around freely and things were happening again. And then we since like went through another lockdown and yada, yada. But it was this, yeah, it's like this weird parallel universe for a small period of time where, yes, to answer your question, I ran a workshop in person. <laughs> the reason I'm asking is I have my first in-person keynote coming up. Mm. And I've been wondering how I might apply this learning to my own upcoming experience <laughs> with the keynote because I had a bit of a habit, I think, pre-pandemic of really getting in my head right before I would go on for maybe like the 20 to 30 minutes before I would go on where I would try to convince myself that I would forget everything that I came there to say that, you know, they booked the wrong speaker, that nobody's going to like me, you know, all of the self-sabotaging thoughts. That and sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thankfully, I've got a bunch of mindset tools in my back pocket that I can pull out and work through. And so like, I never didn't go on stage and do the keynote. But with this new one coming up, I'm like, maybe I should expect to have a similar experience to the one I saw my clients having, which is mm. I might be completely free completely open, completely vulnerable. And what if I offer that same expectation to the people in the audience that they are not the same people that they were 20 months ago and that they might be open and willing and engaged and vulnerable the way I am? Oof. I mean, I feel like, yes, that is worth trying. And not only trying the first time you do a keynote, but the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth time, the next time we do a workshop, the next time we coach a client, the next time we, I don't know, catch up for dinner with friends. What I'm hearing is almost like the sunk cost fallacy with the stories we tell ourselves, which is, mm -hmm. can I ignore the stories I used to tell myself about these things? Yes. And show up free, present, excited, aware, and open to what might be. Yeah. Yeah, and then build that as a habit, as a habitual way of thinking. Yes. Thinking with freedom in mind as opposed to I have to hide or thinking with openness in mind as opposed to I'm so scared I have to close myself off. Yeah, yeah. So it dawns on me. I've been working with a number of organizations around the world on what it looks like to show up and be a leader in a hybrid world of working. Mm -hmm. So, And part of the keynotes, these workshops I've been running and these coachings I've been doing it's all been remote, but part of the conversation that I'm trying to help folks see or part of the door that I'm trying to open for them is going back to the office or returning to the office. It shouldn't even be framed as returning to the office. What we right. should frame it as is the future of work. So, it's not going to be what it was pre-pandemic. It's not going to be what it was for the last 20 months. This is all new. This is the future of work. And so, as much as possible, it is so hard 
But as much as possible, can we intentionally and consistently, to your point, remind ourselves to show up in a different way, to show up with more possibility or more curiosity and openness to a new way of working or a new way of teaching or a new way of delivering a keynote and have the humility to recognize that because it's new, it'll probably be messy and they'll be like, oh, we didn't used to do it this way and now I feel clunky. And that's good because it's not that we're trying to do things the way we used to. We're actually entering a new way of working and showing up in the world, I think. Mm, I think that's just so very important. I'm thinking about some conversations I've had recently about whether or not we're ever going to go back to some of our old practices here in the Broadway Mm. theater industry. And there seems to be almost a longing when I'm hearing people talking about this for the way things were as they complain about the way things were. And I think it's because at least we knew what that was. Totally. It's like fatigue of change or change fatigue. Like Mm. I even hear it in myself when I say to an organization or a bunch of their senior executives, which I've been doing for the last six months, when I say to them, this is not going to be what was, this is not going to be what has been, this is something new, you can feel them be like, God damn, (laughs) more change, really? Like I have fatigue of change. I'm so fatigued. I just want something familiar. Mm. So I get like, it's hard. Yeah. It's making me want to kind of pull on the change thread a little bit because Mm. if we're not changing, does that mean we're staying the same? I mean, if the opposite of changing is staying exactly the same, is that really what we want? Ultimately, no. I think we want to grow and evolve and develop. But you're right. It can feel very exhausting after a while. Yeah, totally. And overwhelming because of the unknown, I think. So, like, fear of the unknown is an episode we did recently. Foe 2 comes back. Foe 2 is back. And so, again, if I'm, like, thinking about the way I've been talking to organizations and leaders and executives about this, it's like, okay, cool. So, let's acknowledge this new reality. This is new. This is the future of work. It's going to be messy. It's uncomfortable because it's change. I've acknowledged that you've all just taken a big, deep breath. Hilarious. And let's focus on what we can control. We can't control that it's going to be uncertain. We can't control that it's going to be different and new and change. That is just like a reality that we can't control. What we can control is how we choose to show up within that. Yeah. How we choose to lead, how we choose to practice certain skills. And so, in my mind, for leaders, for example, I've been talking to them about practicing the skills of empathy. Everyone has just gone, to your point, through a collective and individual trauma. So, what does it look like to think about what they might be going through when we come back to an office? Or intentionality. Can I get really, really clear in what does success look like for me for coaching this class or delivering this workshop or running this meeting in person again if I'm in an organization? So, getting really intentional and then getting super curious and like I mentioned, having humility to be like, what's working, what's not? What did we learn from the last 20 months that's worth hanging on to and what's worth letting go of? And just like constantly coming back to the skills that are within our control rather than the overwhelming reality that (laughs) we're going through more change. Forever. Forever Forever and always. Forever and always. Yes. Okay, Pete. So, what's our big takeaway here? I think as we enter this future of work or future of teaching or future of learning, whatever the context is you're going into, can we remind ourselves and let go of the stories we used to tell ourselves because... It's not going to be the same as what was. 
And in doing so, can we then anchor ourselves to certain skills or behaviors that we want to embody or values that we want to practice and show up as? Like I mentioned, is that intentionality? Is that curiosity? Is that empathy? Is it just an openness to possibility? Like think about what are the values that you can control how you show up in any given setting? Yeah, it might be as simple as you're not who you were. You are now who you are. Maybe it's time to re-meet yourself as the you you are now. And with that mic drop, that is the long and the short of it. <laughs>